Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Lynn Abate-Johnson online. Lynn, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am awesome. In the pre-show, folks, uh, we're both Michigan kids, so we were talking about some Michigan things, but uh, that that's on the cutting room floor and there won't be a director's cut, so uh, it's all gone <laughs> now. So that's okay. It's all good. We'll probably well, interject thank you, something. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for being here. So for those of us that aren't aware of your work, uh, why don't you share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the conversation. Yeah, um, I'm, well, originally a business consultant, community builder. Um, I represent conscious brands and build communities online globally. And um, currently I'm with the Coactive Training Institute, which I love. It's a leadership development coach training company. So uh, I have the benefit of not only being immersed in the culture of the company um, that very much walks walks its talk. Um, I also um, get to represent their mission of just really transforming our our world through leadership and uh, leadership development. And coaching is a core competency of leadership. So I've gone through all of the coaching courses, although I'm not a coach, I'm more of a consultant. And I like that. I like that. I like helping businesses grow and I like helping conscious businesses get seen in the world. Yeah, it's an important distinction between coach and consultant. A lot of times people will say, are you a coach? I said, no, I'm more of a consultant. I say the same thing because I using a sports analogy, I said, coaches get fired. Um, consultants <laughs> come in and um, we do our thing and we say, here's all the things that'll make it better and uh, hopefully they'll implement <clears throat> it. And if they do, yeah. awesome. If they don't, well, you know, you, you gave them the roadmap and they have to <laughs> they have to start the car. Uh, exactly. but, you know, not, not to throw any of my clients under the bus, but, you know, <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't do it for you. You got to do it. But um, so there's some, those lines bleed, but yeah. So yeah. And we were talking in the pre-show too about, excuse me, about how important it is for leadership these days, especially right now in the world with all the, you know, we're in this pandemic flux type of situation. I'm not going to get in the debate of, is it over or not? I don't know. You know, that's, that's for other people to talk about, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with, because of the economic challenges and people getting laid off and jobs and all of that kind of stuff, it's a big reminder for people to take ownership of their leadership and the leadership is of your own life and figuring out what you want to do. And you don't have to, you know, follow in the footsteps of your ancestors. You have the right to do something different and, you know, fortune rewards the brave, I think is a quote I've heard a few times. And it, sometimes it's brave to jump out there as an entrepreneur. But in, in your situation, you you had that in your DNA at a very young age and mm-hmm. have, have done a lot of different things. But you know, yeah. the work that you're doing now, I, I think is critically important where you, you're getting the best of both worlds. You're like, okay, I'm fully immersed in this world of of coaching and helping people, you know, guide people to be better. And mm-hmm. that's, that's always, that's always something I think that you and I both agree on is you know, we, we want the world to be better. We want people to be better. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It can be a double-edged sword, right? Like you, you're committed to transformation of yourself and, and others in our world. Cause we see that that would be very helpful, you know, for those of us to become the, the leaders that we've been waiting for. Like nobody's coming to save us. It's up to us. And uh, coactive leadership asserts that, and I believe that we're all leaders and that leaders are responsible for their world. So it's really a matter of identifying how we lead, how we lead ourselves. It's called the leader within, right? And then how we lead from behind, how we lead beside others, you know, who have a vision. So we we're always kind of um, changing the roles, so to speak. And, and also it's interesting that you brought up um, breaking old patterns um, because I think that's something that's been really uncomfortable for me in the last few years, especially, you know, with everything that's been going on in the world. And I mean, everything affecting all of us in different ways. I am on a mission more and more to break those generational patterns, those things that we always thought growing up that we were supposed to do all of the shoulds, right? And so, you know, through a lot of years of really getting curious and asking myself questions about um, where I belong, what is my identity, how do I lead, how do I trust, you know, that's a, a big one for me is trusting, you know, trusting myself, trusting others. And when you have things that just happen, you know, in your childhood, in your life, in your young adulthood, you get into careers, you know, all of those things can either layer on and weigh you down and eventually sink you. And in, and especially when a family crisis hits, like a diagnosis that, that we got in 2011 with my mom, or, you know, or you can start getting really curious and asking questions. And, and especially, and I write about this a lot in the book, you know, asking for help. Like I never learned to ask for help. And I thought I had to have it all figured out and I had to make it all happen. And I, was overly responsible. And I do work with a coach now because my coach helps me see where I'm being over responsible and where I'm taking that firstborn role to an extreme degree and where, you know, those ideas that I used to think of me becoming the matriarch when my mom died, you know, me leading the family, that pretty much blew up in my face. And it didn't work. Like I tried, I tried to be everything to everybody and, you know, lead everyone in the family. And I've realized that there's a new, I need to create a new shift in my own paradigm of what that means to be the matriarch of the family. And so that may be another book in the works, <laughs> redefining matriarchy. So yeah, it's been interesting. You know, the journey is very kind of like that squiggly line that you see. It's it's never kind of a straight line. Um, and writing this book really for me was a, a conversation starter more than anything else. I've realized I didn't write the book to, you know, show like the way to be a family caregiver. Really what I am committed to is to let people know they're not alone. And as you were saying earlier, 
it's important that we have resources that we can tap into. And in 2011, when we got that cancer diagnosis for my mom, I wasn't aware of the resources that are available today. And so uh, I always say this is the book that I wish nobody needed. And yet I could have used it. And um, since I'm a systems person and my mom raised us, to be productive members of society, right? And create systems and structures and, um, you know, be pragmatic and get organized. That's what we did. And it sounds sometimes to me, it sounds a little bit callous that I say sometimes we created a business out of my mom's cancer diagnosis. So there's leadership and there's leadership, right? Like, you're, you're a professional working like I was working in Silicon Valley at the time. So my office was in Sunnyvale. It was about a two and a half hour drive one way. So I went into the office about every two weeks working remotely as part of the marketing team. But they never knew that I was working in hospital rooms and doctor's office waiting rooms and the ICU waiting rooms. They never knew that I was spending the whole night at the hospital and because I made it look seamless at work, leading at work and not trusting really anybody there enough to say, hey, this is what's going on in my personal life. Because what I learned, the paradigm that I held at the time was, you know, compartmentalize, do it all yourself. Don't let them know. Don't be vulnerable. Don't even bring your full self to work. Only bring your work self to work. And so for modern day leaders, I see that just falling apart all over the, all over the place. It, that backfires too. When you try to be, um, different, you know, you try to show up differently to work, uh, and not be who you are. So I'm very fortunate. The company I'm with now actually embraces that. They encourage it. They want me to show up authentically. And so I'm, I'm learning that in my old age. <laughs> it feels good. Well, I bet. And I think, yeah, you're not alone. I think a lot of people would put on their mask, pardon, you know, the pun for wearing the masks and stuff like we've got mm-hmm. to do over the last few years, but they, they separate things and, yeah. and it, it, it creates this tug and pull. And I do a lot of work in the burnout space. And I think that's a big part of it is you're going into a situation that doesn't feel natural to you because you're trying to be something that you are, you know, you could be a C-suite executive and all that, but you're not allowing you to be you. You're like restricting yourself and that person wants to come out and make the workplace a little bit more human. And I think a lot of people, as you said a moment ago, it's starting to collapse on them because when people were sent home working remotely, they got a taste of a little bit more flexibility, the ability to manage their own time. Uh, especially for those that had caregiving responsibilities or if they yeah. have school age kids, they, they, they did the math really quick going, wait a minute, I work nine to five, my kids schooling is around that time. How am I going to be able to work and make sure my kids are still doing the schoolwork and not playing on the PlayStation five. Yeah, and That caused a lot of grief. So people started getting really creative and working earlier or later at night. And of course that stressed them out, but they realized, well, you know what, I'm able to, get these things done. But I I think organizations and individuals, we have to realize that we are one. And yes, we have a vocation. Yes, we have skills and talents to improve humanity. 
mm-hmm. no matter what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But I think it, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And this is a challenge I see. And, you know, I want to dive in a little bit more about your book, uh, caregiving and you know, your mom and all of that. But I see this a lot you know, with caregiver burnout because you're so focused on taking care of somebody that you're not taking care of yourself. And I'll, and I'll give a real personal story real quick. Uh, I don't know if I've shared this on my show before, but here we go. Uh, back in 2002, my grandmother had passed away. She had Lewy body dementia. Mm-hmm. Now, she had it for seven years and she was completely bedridden, unable to talk and she was kept at home. So it was my mom, my aunt, and two of my uncles all rotated 24-hour shifts for seven years. Wow. With respite help that would come in on Friday because um, the insurance would only cover so much. And so there's that. So that went on and on um, for seven years. And finally, you know, grandma mercifully passed away. And then a month later, my oldest uncle, who was one of the caregivers, passed away. And then a year later, my other uncle passed away. And it was like, boom, boom. And of course, my brother and my dad and I were all freaking out going, "Uh uh-oh, you know, mom. And, you know, as of this recording, mom's still around. So she's stubborn, uh, to say the least, in many ways. And uh, and she's like five foot nothing. So she's she's stubborn. Uh, But but she was, in many cases, like you, and while I'm sharing more than I normally do, but a lot like you, what you said, you know, taking care of the family and in the house that she grew up, there was a bunch of brothers and sisters and both parents worked and it was in the fifties and you know, early sixties. So she kind of took this ownership of mm-hmm. running the household, even though she wasn't the oldest, she was you know, the, the middle, but mm-hmm. she was the oldest daughter. And my two uncles were uh, teenage boys and in the fifties and sixties. And I'll let you do the math on that. So, um, they, they, they were doing all the fun things that those people did during those days. Um, but, but at the end of the day, you got to take care of yourself first. And when you're a caregiver, sometimes that doesn't seem to be possible. So, so let's, let's talk about the book. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the book and, and the work and all of that and how, you know, that book, you know, has become you know, kind of a gift and a guidepost. And you've already alluded to it a bit, but I want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, the whole point of the book is to let people know that it's going to be okay. <laughs> and um, that they, that there are uh, tools, there is support. Um, and the systems that, that we created are actually, a couple of them are in the book and then more on my website. So it's a very interactive experience there where people can go and literally copy some of the, the checklists and the things that we had on an everyday basis that freed up our emotions to be able to deal with what was right in front of us. So we had to kind of automate or mechanize mechanize as much as we could. And that was kind of where my mom's pragmatism came in to really help us support her in those ways and the, all the admin ways. And then it freed up our emotions to be able to get our brains around what was actually going on until we could then have in, have other people come in and like friends and we could trust them, you know, that they could take care of her. And then we had had these checklists and tracking sheets 
for them to fill out whenever they would come in and help. So, man, I can really empathize and and relate to what your mom and her sibs went through with your grandma. And actually, it it ends up becoming any disease, any diagnosis becomes a family disease, right? Like everything is thrown out of whack, whack. Everything is off balance. And so I talk about in the book how I did a really crappy job of taking care of myself because I was basically the, the whole first year, I thought I could control it. I thought I could keep my mom alive. I thought I could figure it all out and I couldn't. And so what did I do? You know, I used like my addiction to food and especially to sugar to medicate myself, right? Make myself feel at least some semblance of what I wanted to feel, which was I just wanted to feel normal. And so if I could binge on sugar or eat something, I didn't care what it was or just go all day without eating. Some eating. Some days I would starve myself. I did a horrible job. And then I started to realize what was happening to me and how unhealthy I was becoming. So it was a big irony, right, that was being played out. And it wasn't until my mom died in 2017 that I really started to say, look, you don't, your mom's gone. You don't have her to take care of anymore. And you don't have to take care of everybody else in the family either. That's not going to work. So, hey, how about you focus on yourself, Lynn? Try it out. And so I did, I've, I've, you know, I'm not a natural athlete. I don't love to work out. And I found things over the years that really benefit me. I love to roller skate, for example. And so I found a local roller skating community and, you know, I, I do Pilates and, and functional movement classes, like non-negotiable four days a week, four times a week. I'm on zoom doing these courses And so that's the self-care piece. And I think that um, you touched on something earlier about, you know, bringing your full self to work when we were talking about that and how the C-suite leaders often see themselves as having to compartmentalize, having to just shine everything on that's going on at home when they show up for work. And I got to tell you, the leaders that I respect the most are the ones who are the most vulnerable and they show up and they talk about, in fact, I think that one of the gifts of this pandemic has been that people have had to do meetings in their bedrooms on Zoom and they've had pets and little kids and other things, other people at home tugging at them and interrupting them. And so, you know, when you talk about leadership, you know, it's that whole person that's leading. It's that real human whole person that's leading. And so what I'm bringing out in the book really is conversation starters about what that really means. And so it's it's not really even an indictment of myself and what a terrible job I did of taking care of myself. It's really more like this is the daily grind. This is what was going on. Each chapter starts out with a journal entry. So I kept a journal online to inform the friends and family, especially the giant family in Michigan, my mom's aunts, cousins. We come from a big ethnic family back there. Um, my mom is was Chaldean. And so uh, these people wanted to know, and they wanted to know, 
every minute what was going on with her. So as I was writing these daily journal entries, and sometimes more than once a day, I started to realize that this was really helping people, you know, the communication piece was really, really helping people. And when the six years went by and we still had this journal, it was kind of like a diary of everything that my mom went through and it was focused on her. And what I didn't do is I didn't focus on me during those journal in those journal entries. I only reported what was going on with my mom and some funny things that were happening, you know, like in she sit on the toilet and fall off the toilet into the garbage can in the hospital when she was there recovering, you know, just trying to lighten things up here and there. And the family members were saying, geez, you know, we thought that we were consoling you. We thought that we were having to, you know, cheer you up and here you are, you're making us laugh. So that's what I did with the book. I took out just excerpts, really short excerpts most of the time from those journal entries back during those six years. But then I add on to my experience, my personal leadership journey and what it meant for me to go through it at that time and what it means for me now as I look back on it with hindsight and really see so much more clearly what worked and what didn't work. What I want to do more of is is what works now for me to be healthy and for me to be thriving after my mom is dead and gone is like that was unfathomable to me in 2011. When she got diagnosed, I thought that was the end of my life. And it wasn't. And I'm I'm doing well. I'm I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. Um, you know, ironically, I and I write about this in the book, there were some things that my mom did not like about me. And like she loved me, of course, but she would always try and get me to be more of this or less of that, right? And so I write in the book about how ironically, since she died, she would be so happy (laughs) to see me now, right? And learning those lessons that I learned out of a really horrible situation. And I think that's a very important lesson as we... Yeah. We look back and and I, my hunch and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, many times when people and you probably see this with the coaches and, and the clients you have and and all of that, where they have to look within. And for many people, that is a very very difficult thing because they look at it from a judgmental viewpoint. Oh, I screwed that up. Oh, I wish I would have done that. Why did I do it that way? I'm such a, you know, whatever. They start using all that self-demeaning language that the brain keeps feeding them. But my hunch is when you were going back and you're going through those journal entries and then you thankfully, thankfully added how you were. And I think that's, you know, from what you said, you know, that wasn't really mentioned much when you were updating on the journals of how you were doing, you were focusing on your mom. But I, my hunch again is when you were going back and looking at that and reflecting on that, did you approach it from a state of curiosity or just let's take a look at this in, in a non-judgmental way and just kind of look at it and reflect again with hindsight, just approach it from a different viewpoint, which I'm guessing probably made, made it a bit easier to go back and reflect on that six-year period of time. That's for sure. You know, um, Glennon Doyle talks about writing from the scar and not the wound. And so 
that's really the place that I feel like I am in right now is that I'm not still like walking around, you know, gushing blood everywhere because I've just gone through this experience. You know, I definitely have had the the advantage and the privilege of having so many years of distance between that that roller coaster ride that I was on and what's happening now. So yeah, I've, I've been able to kind of look back on that. You know, there were times when I would read some of those journal entries and I would just laugh so hard or I would cry, you know, because I remembered, you know, how my mom was in those moments that I was reporting on. And I remember how scared I felt I remember how unsure I felt, you know, as confident as I come off, um, you know, and as self-assured as I come off, I'm a scared little girl, just like, just like anybody else in this, you know, in this form, in this body, you know, thinking about my mom is going to die. Right. And so that was really the overarching fear and like, what am I going to do? And so when I read back on those journal entries, I think about, oh my gosh, like I I know what I was doing to cope. I know what coping mechanisms I had developed through my childhood and my young adulthood. I was just, um, you know, I was just falling back on those. Like I was reverting and, you know, just defaulting, I guess you would call it, to all of those things that I learned growing up. And not all of them were great. Um, you know, I, I, I did, I used to tell my mom all the time, mom, I got all your best qualities. And so, and we would just laugh, you know, it was just funny. But I think that, you know, looking back on it now, it's a really, uh, it's a cathartic experience for me and it also makes a difference so that I can still very, I'm, I'm an empath. And so I can very much empathize with my readers and with anybody really who is thrust into this all of a sudden caregiving role and they still have to work full time and they still have to show up and be a rock star, you know, in their profession. And, you know, and sometimes we aren't able to be a rock star and that's okay too. And I'm, I'm kind of learning, you know, the differences between um, showing up authentically and as a, as my full human self and putting on some kind of a, you know, happy face, like a little Pollyanna, like everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> that doesn't work. No, we always hope it will, but usually it'll, it'll come up in, in kind of, gently smack us in the face or the back of the head and yeah. and we 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 wake up and go okay well, we need to approach this differently so yeah. Lynn, i've loved this i've loved this conversation Lynn, i could talk to you for hours about all kinds of different things you know from back home in michigan to all kinds of different things but where can people find out more about you this book and in this amazing work you're doing at cti Thank you. Um, yeah, my website, lynnabatejohnsonbook.com. And I do have a business website um, that's an offshoot from that. And right now I'm building a community. Um, and so all of the links, all of my social links and this online community, which is not a social media community, um, purposefully is um, 
just built on a platform to help other family caregivers get in there and talk about what's really going on. So, um, yeah. And then, um, you'll, you'll have show notes. So I think there's going to be a little free gift that we're going to offer in your show notes, but we'll let the listeners take a look at that and, uh, and learn more that way. But linabatejohnsonbook.com. Yeah, and I'll definitely have all those links and all of that in the show notes. So, Lynn, great to connect with you. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to you know, yeah. share your story, the experiences that you had with your mom, because it's going to help a lot of people as more and more people become caregivers as our population continues to age. Uh, this book is going to be a beacon for many, many people. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.